Faith or belief? Is there a difference between the two? Which would describe you? Faith or belief? I was reading an article about a a guy who uh, is a skydiver. I I actually went skydiving one time myself, so uh, I I get it. I always wanted to try that one time, and I got it out of my system. I'm done. Uh, But nevertheless, this particular man was working toward a goal, and here was his goal. He wanted to jump out of an airplane without a parachute and survive. So, what did he do? Well, he practiced an enormous amount of time. Matter of fact, he stated that he's done 18,000 jumps. And what he did is he found this little area, and he put this area in this clearing, um, and he had permission for this, where he put basically some netting, um, some several different structures of, of netting, where if, you, if he could hit that, if he could hit it exactly right, it wouldn't kill him. For most of us, if we jumped out of a plane 25,000 feet, pretty high, and we hit that spot, it would kill us, most people. But never mind that. Then you've got to hit this spot, and you're jumping out of an airplane. Remember, they're not as fast as you can ride a bike or as fast as you drive a car. We're talking, you know, 150 to 200 miles an hour kind of thing, and you're jumping out of a plane. Well, he practiced, 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 practiced. His name is uh, Luis Marcos, and he's uh, been a skydiver and a stunt devil for a long time. And uh, last year, um, at the end of the year, the time came, and he had CNN. He had everybody out. They came and watched him, and he jumps out of this plane without a parachute, and he hits the spot and survives. Now, my question to you, is that faith? Some of you might say, no, that's just stupid. That might be what you think. Faith or belief? There's a difference. Does Scripture say that there's a difference between believing and faith? I hear people all the time talk about believing. Matter of fact, polls still say that anywhere from 96 to 98 percent of Americans believe in God. But what does that mean? Most people, not everybody, but most people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But what do they mean when they say, I believe in Jesus? What does that necessarily mean anyway? Well, let's look at what Scripture uh, declares faith is. Now, the most popular and um, probably the verse that a lot of people think of when they think of faith uh, is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith, the Greek word pistis here, faith is how it's often translated, is the assurance or the confident expectation of things hoped for. There is a confidence and a conviction of things not seen. Now, if that's what faith is, let's talk about what belief is, if there's a difference. Does Scripture tell us that? And I believe it does. One good example of an example where somebody believed but didn't necessarily have faith is found in John chapter 12, verse 42. So John 12, 42 says, Nevertheless, many of them, speaking about Jesus, even the authorities believed, believe in him, but for fear... The Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. So what does it say? It said they, they believed what he was teaching was true. They believed who he was, but 
out of fear, we're, we're not going to commit to this. We're not going to confess to this. We're not going to recognize this, okay? So here's an example of somebody believing but not having faith. Let's look at another one. James chapter 2, verse 19. James 2, 19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So demons believe. So it's not simply a matter of believing something exists. So uh, we recited the Apostles' Creed, at least some of you did that were here on time. We did the Apostles' Creed (laughs) at the beginning of the service. And uh, those are tenets and statements that we believe. That's a creed, it's a confession that we believe. And, and by the way, I, I want to just say this about once a year, I try to say this. Um, we use the oldest version. I recognize some of you were Methodist, you had a version. Some of you were Catholic, there was a Catholic version. There's Presbyterian version, there's Episcopalian version. Everybody's got a version, okay? We're using the oldest one, so I, I don't need the ugly emails about why we changed the creed. We're just using the old one. Guess what? Your church isn't the only church in the world. God bless you. That was free. Um, <laughs> Back to our sermon here. <laughs> Believing, if the demons believe, but do they have saving faith? Have they professed God? Do they know Christ? <clears throat> is there a difference? Well, there is. And I've, I've shared these points a couple times before, but I think they bear repeating. <clears throat> the reformers, uh, they, they helped people understand it in this manner. There are three aspects of biblical faith. Now, the first one is this. The first one is called notitia, three components of biblical faith. Notitia, which I have faith that it's going to come up on the screen in just a moment here. (laughs) Notitia is the intellectual understanding of the content. So what does that mean? That means, you know what? I understand what you're talking about. I understand the claims of Christ. I get it. I understand the gospel. I intellectually get it, okay? So that's notitia. The second aspect is a census. It's intellectual agreement and belief that those facts are true. I not only understand what you're saying, I believe it to be true. I, I, I understand and I know what you're saying, and I believe what you're saying is true. Now, we see people all the time that have these first two in different areas of life, for example, in health aspects, uh, maybe the doc, maybe you smoke and the doctor says, look, cigarettes are really bad for you. They're going to cause lung cancer. You're going to die an earlier death. And you go, I get it. I understand it. But I still smoke. That means that you haven't put fiducia. It means you've not actively put faith in it. Okay. That's the picture right there. All right. So which brings us to our third one. Fiducia means trust or commitment to not only do I understand it, not only do I believe it's true, but I'm going to commit to it. I am trusting, I am putting commitment to it. So uh, a simple example would be my wife. When I, when I first met my wife, beautiful woman, godly woman, loved her. And I thought, okay, she is a godly woman. She loves me. I'm, and I think all these things are true. I knew it to be true. I believe they were true. But then I asked her to marry me. That was a commitment. Now, there were other girls I thought were beautiful and sweet and all that, but I didn't make a commitment, or maybe they didn't make a commitment to me, whatever, however you want to look at that. Um, but there was no commitment there, okay? That, there was no fiducia. And so there's the picture. This is what faith is when the Bible's talking about faith. And when we look at the story in just a moment, we hear the word faith. It's more than believing a fact or believing that it's true. It's commitment to, 
okay? That's what faith is. It's not just having a commitment. Sometimes people make commitments and contracts or things where they, they make a commitment in faith, but they don't understand what they're doing. It's all three, okay? So with that understanding, um, we're going to continue here. And it, it reminds me of a story of a um, little boy. This just happened a few months ago over in Phoenix, Arizona. I was reading the story. And this little boy <clears throat> uh, got lost. He was three years old. And he got out of the house. He, I guess he figured out how to open the door. My son did that, I remember, when he was about three as well and just walked on out. And uh, this little boy walked on out, and he found himself blocks and blocks away. couldn't find his way home. Somebody called. Police came and picked him up. They asked him what his name was. He said, Baloney. And no, seriously, son, what's your name? He's three-year-old, you know, and he said, Baloney. And so the cop gets kind of irritated, said, I'm just going to take you down the station. I don't know what else to do. So they take, they take him to the station. They ask him questions about his name. Who are you? And he goes, baloney. And that's the only thing he would say. That's a true story, by the way. And so finally, uh, the chief comes over. They give him a candy bar and Cokes. And I'm um, not sure what his mother would have thought about that. But who cares at this point? It's a loss. And says, son, tell us who you are. Tell us what your name is. And he says, baloney. And they were just at a wit's end. They don't know what else to do. They don't know else how to bribe this kid or what to do. And about that time, they get a phone call, and there's a lady on the other end of the line and said, um, you know, her voice quivering, have you any chance you found a three-year-old boy with blonde hair in this, this area of town? And they said, yes, ma'am, I think we have your son. Um, what, what, is, what is his name? She said, our, our last name is Baloney. And uh, <laughs> true story. So what was it? They, they, uh, they didn't believe it to be true. You see what I mean? Even though the facts are being given, sometimes people are given facts and they refuse to believe them, which is what we see in Scripture. All right. Well, let's look at our text, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And let's look at that one more time. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, and I love this part right here, Jesus speaking right here. And what does Jesus tell his followers? He tells his disciples, let us, that means you, me, all of us who are, who are in this boat, we're going to go across the other side. So they're going across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, about six years ago, I had a chance to go over there. I remember taking uh, a boat ride over the Sea of Galilee and, um, and uh, just thinking about this particular story, about the storm, and wondering if a storm was going to brew up. Now, of course, now we've got motorized boats, so it only took about 30 minutes to get across. And this is a, basically, this is a large lake, uh, about the size of Lake Texoma, if you know what Lake Texoma is. Uh, a little bigger than Lake Louisville, but it's the largest freshwater below sea level lake in the world. And because it's so far below sea level and it's surrounded by this area, the storms can swoop in uh, pretty quickly. And not only that, add to this, that the ancients of that day, the Romans thought this, the Greeks thought this, and even the Jews to a large extent, thought that the water uh, was the water was kind of the abyss of the evil. It was an uncontrollable area. It, it represented evil and darkness. And uh, you could go across it and you could fish just as these fishermen did, but you had to be respectful. And there was a power there that was untamed. So there was a great fear and great reverence uh, for the sea. And so here we are, and Jesus says, come on, let's get in the boat, and we're going to go across to the other side. Jesus cannot lie. He is... Uh, his word is always true, so they're going to make it to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats went with him. And a great windstorm, uh, a mini hurricane, if you want to call it, and the waves were breaking into the boat 
so that the boat was already filling. So they got out in the middle of this lake. And again, there's no, at this point, there's uh, not any motorized vehicles. It's just how fast can you row? And even though they're experienced fishermen, and they probably typically wouldn't have gone out this far at this point in the middle of the night, they're, they're doing it. But one of these storms comes in, storms that you can't see because of the surrounding area, because it's so far below sea level, and it sweeps in. And here they are in this miniature hurricane, so to speak. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, remember, what does, Pete, what does Peter do for a living? He's a fisherman. That's, it's probably his boat. Uh, that's what his brothers do. They're, they're fishermen. So they, they know what they're doing. They're professional fishermen. But here's the water coming into the boat, and they're very concerned. They're scared at this point. And the Bible says, but speaking of Jesus, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Stern is area usually in the top of the boat. It was kind of a little covering where you might put items so that they wouldn't get wet. Jesus is curled up in there, and he's asleep, and there's water coming in the boat. All right? And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They chastised Jesus. You're asleep. We're drowning. We are dying out here. We're going to die. Don't you even care? You ever done that? Life's hard. Something you've prayed for, something you've wanted, something you've asked for, and it's just not happened. It's not happening. And God's not coming through like you thought. Felt like he brought you to this point. And you go, don't you care? Don't you care, God? That's exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what they're saying right now. They are scared. And they believe probably don't have faith at this point because a teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The next verse says this, verse 39, he awoke, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still, quiet, stop, be still. Now this is huge. Remember, this is the one area of life that even the Jews felt like was untamable, these waters. And so when you see the great, uh, you see the great Uh, miracles that happen in the Old Testament. That was always a big deal. And now Jesus is doing this. Jesus is causing the sea to be still and for the winds to cease. You know, even after the wind ceased, the water is usually churning, but it ceases to churn. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He didn't ask them, do you believe? Didn't ask if you believe it's true. He said, faith. By the way, I don't think he's chastising them because they're scared. That's fine. I, I think God knows we're going to be scared. I don't think they're getting mad. Why are you scaredy cat? That's not what he's doing. I don't believe that's what's occurring here. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear. In other words, we believe nothing can be done. They were of the opinion of that, yes, Jesus, we believe what you've been saying. We believe that these things are true. But God, I don't think they understood that he was really God at this point. Remember how we read earlier, Tommy read earlier, Psalm 107. And 107 talks about how God calms the seas, how God calms the storm. He stills the water. He's the only one that can do that. God, Jesus is revealing himself here. And they have fear. And remember, Jesus said, hey, we're going to go to the other side. That's what he told them. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is this that can even calm the sea? We don't have time to read it, but I challenge you to read it today. Jonah chapter 1, the story of Jonah. How does it go? It goes like this. Jonah, God calls him to go preach to the Ninevites, to preach preach a message of repentance. If not, he's going to destroy the city of Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want to do that because he doesn't like them. He hates them. Matter of fact, so he gets on a ship uh, headed out, and soon there's a storm that begins to brew. A uh, miniature hurricane, if you want to call it, out on the sea. The storm is brewing. Jonah's in a boat. Jesus was in a boat. Jonah's in a storm. Jesus was in a storm. Jonah was asleep. Jesus is asleep. Jonah is awakened. And what do they, what do they ask him? Do you not know that we are perishing? What do the disciples ask Jesus? Do you not see that we're pe- Don't you care? Do you not see that we're perishing? God calms the storm and stills the water. Jesus calms the storm and stills the water. The passengers are terrified on Jonah's boat. What God can do this? After it's occurred, and they recognize the, the power and the might of this God, the disciples recognize the power and the might of Jesus. Almost looks like the same thing. Except for one point, right? You might be thinking, yeah, but Jonah got thrown in. <laughs> yeah, that's a big point, isn't it? Jonah got thrown in, and then he's taken into a great fish for three days, three nights. And then he's spit out, and he goes and preaches the message of repentance to Nineveh, and they repent. What does Jesus do? Jesus dies, and for three days he's put in the grave. And on the third day he rises, and he's... He he conquers sin and death. The message of repentance, the message of salvation is given. Now, if you don't think that's enough, I want you to turn with me, and I think this is a very important key passage. Uh, If you have a Bible, I really want you to turn with us. I always welcome you to bring a Bible. But Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Matthew 12, verse 38. And I want you to look at this text, and I want you to think about what we've just talked about. The stories that we've just read and what we've just talked about. And this passage, this story is no coincidence. Verse 38, Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees were answering him, saying, Teacher, we must see a sign for you. We want to see a sign. Verse 39, but he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except what? The sign of the prophet Jonah. Think about the story. Think about what we just read in Matthew chapter 4. Story of Jonah, Psalms 107. No sign will be given to you except for the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in, Jonah for three days and three nights was in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up with judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And then catch this it's a key phrase. Catch this right here. And behold, something greater 
then Jonah is here. Your translation might even say the true Jonah or the ultimate Jonah. It's the picture of salvation, the picture of the one who has brought salvation, the picture of God himself. So we know God is the only one who has the power to calm the seas. We know Jesus has just calmed the sea. And we also know that Jesus is the ultimate. He is one beyond Jonah, revealing himself. Here's the sign. And then the ultimate sign will be for three days, he will be placed in a grave. And on the third day, he will rise. That's why we put our faith in Jesus Christ as the God of the universe, the one who saves the ultimate prophet, the true God and Savior. That's why he came and he lived the life that you and I couldn't live, and he died the death that we should have died. And by doing that, he went to the cross, and he had his hands and his nails his hands and his feet nailed to the cross. As his blood poured, it covered our sins because God said in his word, there could be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So he shed his blood. God shed his blood so that we might be forgiven if we would put our trust and faith, not just believe it's true, not just understand it, but I put my faith and trust in you. That's biblical faith. That's biblical salvation. It's different than acknowledging there's a God. I believe there's Jesus. I believe he's a good dude. I believe he says, what he says is true. But have you committed your life to it? We're talking about the God of the universe who created all things. I was reading this article a few weeks ago again, and I just thought it was fascinating about, um, about just how our world is put together. One of the most astonishing discoveries of astrophysics has been made in the recent decades is that of gravity. If there were just zero 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 one point zero 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 one one trillionth of one percent. Now, when I'm talking about one trillionth of percent, I'm not saying one tenth of one percent. I'm not saying one hundredth of a percent. I'm not saying one thousandth. I'm not saying one million. I'm not even saying one billionth of a percent. I'm talking about one trillionth of one percent. If our gravity level was uh, was different, stronger, our universe would have reversed course a long time ago, and it would have completely collapsed, ending in a big crunch. That's what would have happened if it was one one trillionth of one percent stronger. If it was one trillionth of one percent weaker. Our universe would have flown apart so rapidly, the planets, stars, and galaxies, and all the basic constituents of the universe would never have had a chance to coalesce. We'd all be dust in the wind. That was done by a secular atheist scientist, by the way. You don't think there's design. Matter of fact, any legitimate scientist will say there's the one complexing part if you don't believe there's a God. The one thing that's completely complexing and difficult to to get around is the order, the design, the complexity and the design of the universe. That being just a small token. We believe that in the beginning God created and that Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit 
were there. That's what we talk about when we talk about God. It's the same God who stilled the sea. The same God who came and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. Do you know him? Not do you believe he's true. Not do you understand him. But have you placed your faith, your hope, your conviction in him? You see, faith requires belief. But belief doesn't require faith. Faith requires conviction and devotion. But belief does not require devotion and conviction. You can believe something. It doesn't mean you're committed to it. Have you committed your life to Christ? For believers in Christ Jesus, what are some ways that we can practically grow our faith? How are some ways we can grow our faith? Well, first of all, spiritual disciplines. We have, we have classes that we'll teach uh, throughout the semester. One of them will be spiritual disciplines. How to study your Bible. Is there a time that you're disciplining yourself to read Scripture each day? And hopefully systematically to have a plan. We've been going through the Bible together. We also have devotionals out there. I, I want to just, again, encourage you in the importance of reading Scripture, of letting the Word of God dwell richly within our hearts and minds and souls. Secondly, prayer. Making a time to pray. Not just in the car, not just when you're mad, not just when you're upset, but a consistent time where you pray, you seek the heart of God, and then, you're, then you listen. We're reading Scripture. We're praying. We're enabling God to speak to us. We're listening for God to speak to us. As we memorize Scripture, as we learn Scripture, as we worship together, that's another discipline. That's another spiritual discipline. It's one of the reasons we come together to worship together. Worship uh, is one of, the way, one of the things that grows our faith. The second thing that we can do to grow our faith is biblical community. Now, what do I mean by biblical community? I'm talking about people that you are in small group with, that you're doing life with, people that maybe you serve with or you're in a Bible study. Is there a group of people that, that know you, that you're accountable to, and that encourage you in your faith? We really want to encourage us. One of the reasons we have small groups here, and we want to encourage you to be in one. If, if you're not, at least be in a Bible study where you are connecting with other people or you're serving on a week-to-week basic with other believers who are speaking into your life and they know what's going on. They're praying for you. Biblical community. God never intended for us to do this alone. The whole concept of my faith is private and I don't do anything. You know, I don't tell anybody. I just, that's all by myself. The chances are, if that's what you're doing, you're, you're just kind of talking to yourself. Biblical community is when God, how does God typically speak to us? He speaks through his word and he speaks through others. You need to make sure you have the right others speaking life into your spirit and challenging your faith. And number three, exercising faith. Exercising faith by sharing it, letting people know what you believe, exercising your faith when there are situations that come at work or in the neighborhood or wherever it is that are against your faith that you stand, and even though it may cost you exercising our faith. Oswald Chambers says it this way. I love this. He says, faith is this. Practical faith for our everyday life today is this. It's doing everything you honestly and ethically can and trusting the rest of God. Doing everything that you can. We've talked about this before. It's not I need a job. God, you go get me one. I'm doing everything I possibly can. <clears throat> and God, I'm going to trust you with what I can. I'm not going to be unethical. I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to break the values of scripture, but I'm going to do everything I can. Lord, I'm going to trust you 
with everything beyond that. That's practical faith today. Are you exercising your faith? Uh, I was reading about a British uh, author and historian, Dr. Kenneth Clark. Uh, He has a show on the BBC called Civilization. Very famous, very respected uh, scholar in Great Britain. And he talked about how uh, several months ago, I guess it was seven or eight months ago, that he visited a church called uh, the Church of San Lorenzo. And he said, while I was there, he goes, I had the most remarkable experience. He said, I encountered God, maybe for the first time, certainly like I'd never before. And I encountered him and I felt like he was speaking. And I can't even begin to explain to you uh, that, that revelation and that experience that I was just caught up in. And and he just began to speak to me and move me. And I, and I just so sensed his power and his fullness there. He said, but then I walked away and it gradually got less and less. And I thought to myself, am I going to tell my wife about this? Am I going to tell my family about this? And do I need to commit myself to God like this? To, he said, because, you know, there are some things in my life that aren't quite right. And there's some things that I need to change. And what would my friends think? And my family, what if we actually started going to church regularly? What if I told them, I started telling people I believe, and I just got to thinking about it, and I just think, you know, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready. That would change my life too much. And what I'm doing right now is, is important, my work and my research, and I don't, I don't want to do that now, maybe at another time, but I don't think I want to do that. He goes, I still remember that time, but I, I decided to not pay that price, to not make that kind of commitment at this point. And so I, I definitely believe that was God. I blessed, definitely understood it to be God, but I don't think I'm quite ready to make a commitment to him at this point. What about you? Do you believe? So do the demons. Do you believe everything to be true? Or do you not only believe and believe it to be true, you've committed your life to it? You say, God... I commit my life to you. Save me. I believe that Jesus died, and the only way that I'll ever be saved is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Apply that to my account by grace. I put my faith and hope in you, and I will give testimony of that. I will be baptized. I will give witness. God, I believe. And not only I believe, I put my faith and trust in you. I commit my life regardless of what it costs me. Have you done that? I want to challenge you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you lived the life that we should, Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And Lord, we put our faith and trust and hope in you today, Jesus. Lord, our faith is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweet frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord, I put my faith and trust in you, the solid rock, Jesus. I don't just believe it. I don't just believe it's true. I put my faith and trust in you. I commit to you. If you're here this morning, you've never made that commitment. I invite you to do that right now. That's saying, Jesus, I not only believe it's true, Lord, I, I want to commit to you as my Savior. Lord, come in and transform my life. Everything I have is yours. I commit myself to you. 
I need you, Jesus. Be my Savior.